Hi, everyone. This is Jim McCarty, welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community. And toward this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, those of us at LL Research form a panel to consider questions from spiritual seekers. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Director of LL Research, and Austin Bridges, Assistant Director of LL Research, along with myself, husband of the late Carla Rucker, scribe for the Raw Contact and President of LL Research, each of us a devoted seeker and student of the Law of One. We will, have <laughs> we will be discussing questions that are sent to us from spiritual seekers around the globe. Our replies to these questions are not final or authoritative. Instead, they are generally subjective interpretations stemming from our own studies of life experiences. We intend this podcast to be a platform of discussion as we consider questions that often challenge us to articulate our own perspective. We always ask each who listens to exercise their own discernment and listen for their own resonance in determining what is true for them. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash forward slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I'm Jim McCarty, and we're embarking on a new episode of LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. And we'll start with our first question, once again, from Scott M. via email. This is the final round of Scott's questions, continuing from the previous weeks. I think he's provided with two weeks' worth of shows so far. Mm-hmm. We'll have to put him in the credits. <laughs> Greetings in the love and light of the creator of foreverness. My study of the law of one includes beginning the search for knowledge within myself. However, such search reminds me that other selves are essentially different units of perspective and consideration of the one of which I'm a part. So in efforts to account for more perspectives and considerations that I value, I'd like to offer some of my postulations on the law of one for your consideration and feedback. And the last one we're considering is number four. Considering the influence of thought on creation, it might be the case that desire and intention are more important than intelligence because circumstances conducive to one's ability to forge desire, such as physics laws and social norms, will manifest based on intention and desire. In other words, the proper desire or intention or visualization can alter reality and its laws to account for one's earthly abilities to create that which is wanted. So, fellows, who would like to take that first? Gary, have you got something prepared for us? Don't have original thoughts exactly, just um, quotes to share from Kuo and Ra that um, more or less support Scott M's idea. So, I guess I will dive straight into those. Um, In March 19, 1995, Kuo says, The process that seekers go through in order to attain a firmly made choice is not an intellectual process, nor even an intellectual-slash-emotional process, but rather it is, as this instrument would say, a journey from head to heart, so that it matters not so much whether one sees clearly as it matters more that one may desire more clearly. To own the edge of the thirst for truth is to improve that search in its efficacy. Again, it is not what the seeker knows, but what the seeker desires, that creates the character of the distortions that the seeker is likely to settle upon is that which is the least distorted version of truth. On July 15 of the same year, Quo says, This intention, this will to seek the truth of the Creator, is your strength and your heart, and the motivating factor of that which will occur to you. And then a few short ones from Ra, where 
they echo similar thoughts. In 41.18, Ra says, The will of the entity is the single measure of the rate and fastidiousness of the activation and balancing of the various energy centers. 52.7, Your faculty of will is that which is powerful within you as co-creator. You cannot ascribe to this faculty too much importance. And in 57.14, Ra says, The inner light is that which is your heart of being. Its strength equals your strength of will to seek the light. And that's all the quotes I have. Okay, well that sounded good. Austin, what have you got? I agree completely with the statement that desire and intention are more important than intelligence. And I think that the quotes that Gary found support that a lot, and I believe all the quotes that he uh, just recited. But um, I see another part of Scott's question that maybe I'm over-interpreting, maybe I'm projecting a bit, uh, but it seems to me he might be saying that uh, desires and intentions, if... Uh, honed a certain way can actually change like the laws of physics and actively change social norms which i do have a little bit of a disagreement with but before i launch into it i want to make sure that uh i'm not over interpreting this question do you guys see that at all in his question no i can see that yeah i didn't uh focus in on that before but now that you brought it to attention it's definitely he mentions physics laws here. Yeah. I do um, I do believe that the desire and intent and visualization uh, can have a strong effect on our reality, but probably not to the extent that Scott, I think, is implying here. And uh, the primary issue I see with this is that we live on a planet with 7 billion other people, which each of them have their infinitely unique beliefs and intentions that would be influencing our reality. And as a social memory complex, we're not very coherent. I think we experience this every day when we have misunderstandings with somebody or we run into a social policy or a tradition that runs against our deeply held ideals or desires or beliefs. Or even on a larger scale when we have wars or large-scale violence. Um, I can give a small example in reference to the claim that social norms will manifest due to desire and intention of a single individual. Prior to the recent ruling in the Supreme Court regarding same-sex marriage, I have to think of how many people lived their lives in the states where it wasn't legal for them to get married, but they had very strong desires and intentions to marry their partners in a legal sense. And yet that social norm didn't change until recently. And you could make an argument that the tide shifted when enough people held this desire or intention to allow for such equality. And I would agree with that wholeheartedly because I do think that it is more of a social memory complex desire or intention rather than an individual desire or intention. And I don't want to downplay the impact that I think that our desires and intentions or even visualizations can have on our reality. I do think that we can attract situations to us, and I do believe that we can influence our society simply through our beliefs and our desires. But I think this is done a lot more through acting from those beliefs and acting 
from those desires rather than simply thinking them. And even then, we're sharing our reality with many other people, and I don't think that we can expect that our intentions or desires will automatically override any of the others, either by altering physical laws or by overriding social norms. I think that it's a social memory complex thing rather than an individual intent or desire thing. What do you think, Jim? I would agree pretty much with all you said. Um, I remember what Rob was talking about when describing the progress of the adept. When the adept is able to, uh, in a minimal degree, balance all of the energy centers, then there are abilities that may seem miraculous to others about that adept. But for the adept, things are as they should be. They are um, as they are in the, the spirit world, shall we say. But for most of us, that isn't the case. What most of us have available to us is, I guess, what Carla would say, the um, leaping into faith and having faith that things are going to be well, that if we begin to look for positive interpretations of catalysts, as Ross said later on, that we will begin seeing those positive interpretations, whereas before maybe we would not see them as positive, maybe even see them as negative. Uh, We see... uh, things that could be previously described as being traumatic or a real problem or a blockage of our movement or energies as being an opportunity for moving in another direction, perhaps for developing a strength of dealing with uh, difficulties or hardships and becoming a, a stronger entity in the process. So I think that we do have the opportunity to exercise faith that all is well, that all will be well, and that when we look at the things that occur to us in our lives, the catalyst that comes our way, we begin to look at it in a positive sense of, well, what can I make from that? You know, it's, it's not necessarily a case of making lemon, lemonade out of lemons, but it's uh, what positive learning or sharing of service can I make from this situation that is now before me and that offers me various opportunities. And the opportunity that I take will um, probably be the opportunity that I make come true in my life. So in that regard, I would uh, totally agree with what Scott's got to say. Any more thoughts on uh, Scott's last question? Uh, No thoughts for me. I think you guys covered it well. I think so, too. Okay. We'll go on now to Anonymous via the email. I think Anonymous has a couple of questions here, so let's take the first one. It says, this is not particularly a question, but an urge. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I would like for you to discuss why watching horror films is wrong. What is the best way to inform about this fact to those youngsters who like to advertise themselves as having that habit? You can expand on the row or row, I'm not sure what you're saying there, with the ever-increasing number of new weird kinds of cartoons, zombie Barbie dolls, fear-intensifying games, movies, and conspiracies, black clothes, black gadgets, black cars, pop culture, bad symbols, tattoos, etc. Can parents at all protect their children from the huge inflow of all of these? As I call this effect horror, can contaminate people's minds with thoughts and pictures they would otherwise never imagine. Well, Austin, have you got any thoughts about this? I do have a few thoughts about that. I don't necessarily hold the same view of these types of habits as our anonymous questioner does, but I do greatly appreciate the question because I think that the question stems from what is viewed by our questioner as an unconscious consumption of this type of media. And I will definitely agree that such unconscious action tends to perpetuate certain mindsets. 
and it might become sort of a vicious cycle in our society. Uh, what this question does is bring this unconscious aspect of our society forward for us to really examine and ask ourselves ask ourselves why it's there, which is something that I appreciate. Uh, but my key point is that there is a reason for horror movies and things of that nature to be popular in our society. I don't think that things become popular in our culture for no reason at all. Just because the societal attraction to certain things is unconscious doesn't mean that there isn't a root cause for this attraction. So to focus on his uh, sentence, it contaminates people's minds with thoughts and pictures they otherwise never imagined. That may be true. A person might have gone their entire lives without ever imagining something that they viewed in a horror movie. But I would address this from a point in the raw material where Don asked Ra why he might be open to receiving signals of a negative nature, and Ra responding saying, Are you not all things? I do think that answer's a bit of a cop-out on Ra's part, <laughs> as it could be an answer to any question starting with the words, Why am I? Uh, but I do think that it's fruitful to think about. We contain within us all things, even those imaginings from horror movies, even if we maybe hadn't imagined them before we saw them in the movie. I think that we can get a bit more specific, too, and that we're not separate from our societies. A person who creates a horror film is part of the same social memory complex as a person who views that horror film. I believe that in a very real way, there is only an illusory separation between the two. In a real way, a person who views a horror film did imagine it, just not with their own brains. Uh, like I said, I do think that things happen don't think that things happen for no reason. There could be an infinite number of movie genres that become as popular as horror movies in our society, but horror movies took that space and did so because it's filling some kind of archetypal role within that space. Uh, while people may not be conscious of the reasons behind their desires to view these things, it is a desire itself that creates the popularity of such cultural phenomenon. They wouldn't create horror movies if people didn't want to watch them, and if people didn't watch them. The horror movies are fulfilling a strong desire for people who watch them, and thus they're filling, fulfilling a place within our society. I honestly can't guess at where the desires come from, and I don't really enjoy horror movies myself. Uh, that desire isn't part of my personality shell this time around. It isn't part of the social identity that I have incarnated into or created for myself. But a person who does enjoy films may one day stop and ask, why do I enjoy this? Just like all spiritual seekers at one point turn their attentions inward and begin to examine their own distortions and biases and beliefs and all other things that we are playing out unconsciously in our lives up to that point. And when this happens, horror movies become a tool for self-reflection. They're simply another catalyst to be processed and examined in this light of love. The same could be said with an aversion to horror movies, I think. And will the desire to watch these types of movies fall away once it's examined? It might, and it might not. It seems to be a strongly persistent cultural phenomenon in our society. I think some of the earliest films were kind of horror-based. Um, there's a film called Nosferatu that's about a vampire that is really creepy and eerie that is one of the first real landmark silent films. 
And I think it's possible to continue going on enjoying horror movies and allowing them to play out this archetypal role that they've fulfilled within our consciousness in order to bring love and light to parts of our experience which might not otherwise uh, have received that love. So I don't necessarily agree that watching horror movies or the fact that our younger generation might be kind of more interested in these things, I don't think it's necessarily wrong. I just think that uh, it would be more useful if people ask themselves why they enjoy it. But I do think they enjoy it for a reason, and I wouldn't condemn it or anything like that. Great analysis. Uh, Gary, how about you? What do you think about that? Uh, I like how Austin put watching horror movies um how he framed it as it being a catalyst and like all catalysts it has a place in the life and it has a value and it has a time um and i think there's a lot of headway that could be made in terms of analyzing that question as to why horror movies exist why um our culture tends to have a fascination for them i'll take a slightly different tact though and uh, say in reply to Anonymous's question about it being wrong and say that I wouldn't say it's wrong. I wouldn't say it's right either. I would say um, that there really is no intrinsic value, that catalyst is neutral. And so far as I understand the raw material, the raw tends, I believe, supports this view. Um, it's not that the catalyst it's not the catalyst that has meaning in and of itself. It's how you approach that catalyst. For instance, Ra gives the situation in the grocery store where um, the entity ahead of the self doesn't have funds to pay for their order. And then Ra describes a situation where there's, I think, two or three different reactions from onlookers, um, each imbuing that moment with their own pre-existing biases and thoughts. And likewise for horror films. Um, for instance, a, say, I don't know, a social scientist could watch a horror movie to make a study of the culture. Um, somebody else with more dark and perverse interests could watch horror movies to excite themselves. Uh, somebody with uh, unrecognized fears, and I think Austin was starting to get into this territory, somebody with unrecognized fears could watch horror movies as a means of reflecting and perhaps even processing those fears. Um, and other, others might watch it for, like Austin was saying, unconscious consumption um, or for entertainment. And there's others who might just avoid them altogether, um, which I am in that category. I used to watch, love horror movies as a kid, and uh, at some point they just uh, got off my radar. And I I think there's so much natural horror in the world as it is that I don't want to fill my mind with um, more or more... uh, dramatic graphic fictional descriptions um i have been a proponent of the school of thought that says that the mind is fed similarly to the body and that the higher the nutritional content and the greater the balance of foodstuffs that you put into your body the healthier the body will likely be um not always but likely there's Diet is not the end-all, be-all of bodily health. And and likewise, uh, for the mind, the greater the quality of information, um, the more optimistic that information is, the more empowering that information is, likely the stronger the mind. Um, Which isn't to say that the positive entity is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, which isn't to say that the positive entity shuns or avoids 
um, that which is undesirable or seemingly negative or horror films. Uh, the creator needs to be discovered in everything. It's just that the positive entity, I think, will be mindful of the diet that they feed their mind and careful to find sources of inspiration and beauty and truth and reflections of love and light that help illuminate and inform that mind. And uh, my final thought regarding the protection of kids, which uh, Anonymous raises in his his or her excellent question. Uh, In my opinion, I think the greater task isn't to keep keep catalysts from children, uh, though certainly I think kids should be kept from sources of harm as much as possible, but rather to teach children how to successfully process catalysts, uh, give them the tools for understanding the world through the most empowering and, and positively polarized lens that you have available, uh, because you can't keep the child from the world and its many distortions. That's all my thoughts. Your comment about uh, watching horror movies when you're a kid reminded me when I was a kid in grade school. Every Saturday night, I would watch uh, whatever movie was on at the theater downtown in my little town because that was the only night that the grocery store my mom and dad worked in was open. So uh, that was the way I was babysat. And I also liked horror movies for some reason then. But I was disappointed in them because they never really scared me. And I I was always looking for somebody that would scare me, but they, they never could do it. And it made me think now the Maybe there's a phase that kids go through where they uh, need to have this horror movie experience or this challenging experience to see if there's uh, something in it for them. Uh, Ra mentioned that uh, generally the television and the movies that we have have the purpose of distraction and sleep, although there are some that do have the attempt to open into the green ray and to share universal love and light. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think also, though, with all what this um, anonymous is talking about, is that in this particular day and age, there seems to be more emphasis on the possibility of the paranormal, that uh, people are kind of tapping into a wider range of viewing and consciousness and possibility, and that the kids, especially when they're fed the material from the horror movies or uh, Game of Thrones or uh, (laughs) Warlocks and, and all that stuff, that I think that has something to do with the ability to accept more levels of reality than normally have been accepted in the past. And that probably in that that sense, it's probably um, a good thing in that it does tend to open minds to possibilities. Now, as for the programming part of it, I don't really know how much of that lasts. I have a hunch that as we get older, that we look back upon everything that we did when we were younger and just kind of determine whether or not we want to keep it. Or if it's got a use in our lives as we go forward with with learning whatever it is really our passion at that time. So um, I think it's kind of a mixed bag, which, you know, that third density tends to be kind of a mixed bag. We've got a lot of uh, gray area here and a lot of positive stuff and a lot of negative stuff and feelings in general that is sort of negative. But, you know, that challenges people, I think, that have good hearts. I think we're born with a certain way of looking at things that... People who come into this incarnation wanting to be of service and wanting to see the positive in the world around them will eventually uh, do that. And it might be because they see negative things on the screen or in books or uh, wherever that they say, well, you know, that could be, but you no, know, there's something else that could be too, and it, it could be better. And, and maybe because they run into that, they begin to see more of that in their own lives and begin to manifest more of it. Uh, in the books that 
uh, Carla and I were reading before she passed away concerning the uh, pre-incarnated programming that each of us seems to go through. There's a type of programming that's called the uh, programming by opposites. If you want to, for example, increase the amount of compassion in your life, you put yourself in a situation where there is a lack of compassion. And because there's a lack then, and you have programmed you wanting to have more compassion, then you begin to use that catalyst of the lack of compassion to begin to build the compassion. So it might be that in this overall sense, what we're seeing on the television screen is a way of finding uh, the antithesis, which would be you know the unconditional love and the acceptance of everyone around us as being the creator as are we. My thought at least. Anything else on this particular query? I have a couple of thoughts in reply to what you just said, Jim. Um, the first is if you were not scared in the 1950s, things have changed a lot. <laughs> scary stuff there now. <laughs> yeah, there's stuff now. I, I grew up in the 80s and watched things like Nightmare on Elm Street, the Freddy Krueger stuff. And um, even that, um, as far as I understand, is tame compared to what's out there now. I've, I have not gotten into the new generation of horror movies like Saw is one of them that I'm aware of. And, I stay far away from those. Um, they're pretty about as gruesome as you can imagine um, from reports I've heard from other people. <laughs> no firsthand experience here. The, no. And uh, the other thought is that you brought up a great word that hadn't entered my mind previously, and that was programming. And there's a, an age-old question um, I, that's, I guess, especially relevant in um, the 20th century and beyond as entertainment has become so large scale. And that's that is entertainment um, and media changing us, um, influencing us, or is it just a mirror showing us what we already are? And um, you use the word programming, and it occurred to me that the more unconscious an individual is, the more that individual can be programmed or conditioned by environmental influences. On the opposite end of the spectrum, the more conscious an individual is, um, the less apt they are to be conditioned and programmed from external um, influences. Uh, so I think that is a factor that comes into play when, um, when helping me to think about that question. Good point. Austin, any final thoughts on this question? Yeah, on that same point, uh, related to what Gary said earlier and then what he just said, based on what you said, <laughs> um, when Anonymous says that watching horror films is wrong, and I think that the our Anonymous questioner might be viewing horror films as more of something that is an influence rather than a product or rather than a result and like gary was saying it's an age-old question and we were even talking about it on a recent show about uh, art and dark types of art and whether loving them is um appreciating them and loving them is akin to loving all parts of the creator and i think that uh i would kind of disagree with the idea that it is wrong. I think 
in a certain context and a certain perspective, saying something is right or wrong can be valid. I agree with what Gary, with what you said earlier about catalyst being neutral, nothing is right or wrong, but, um, there is a moral way to look at it from a moral perspective. I think Carla used to always say that in third density, there is a right and there is a wrong because we make a choice to walk a certain path where we are either walking a path of acceptance, compassion, and service to others, or a path of uh, manipulation and service to self. So in that sense, something would be wrong if it were perpetuating some kind of moral uh, quandary, some sort of moral suffering, or uh, really perpetuating the horrific images that are depicted in the horror movies. So it is a complex question, but I think horror movies are in a realm where uh, they might not necessarily influence how people act. Um, their sort, their imagination, and Ra talked about how it is uh, appropriate for an entity to experience all things desired, and where things might come into conflict with their understanding of the law of one, it's better to imagine it rather than to play it out. And I think that horror movies fall into that realm of imagining things rather than actually playing them out. I have to wonder, I have no evidence for this, really, but wonder if the fact that such types of media are so common and so easily consumed might help balance the fact that uh, things of this nature, horrific things, were actually much more common in the past. It seems like in the present day that things are getting more violent and more scary and more horrific. But uh, that is a direct result of our availability of witnessing these things through the news media and through the internet. If you look at straight statistics, there has been a steady decline of violence and wars and um, death through violence for decades now. It's been declining. It's at an all-time low in our history. So I have to wonder if that might have something to do with the fact that we're able to process these things through imagining media rather than having to have them actually play out within our reality. Well, some little nuggets to think about there. Uh, Gary, any final response? We're tennis back and forth here. Nope, I'm all out of response. Okay. Well, there's, that's our program today, and we want to let everybody know how much we appreciate your sending in questions. We want you to know that we love you, one and all. We thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. You've been listening to LL Research's weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thanks so much for listening, and a special thank you to those who submitted questions. If you'd like to send us a question for us for the next show, please read the instructions on our page at www.llresearch.org forward slash podcast. New episodes are published to the archive website every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Have a wonderful week. Good